Thank you, Annette. It's good to be here again today. If you weren't here last week, it was my first Sunday here as the interim pastor for Harbor City. And I wanted to just let you know this week, we had the opportunity already to have a couple of orientation meetings of our search team for the for the new pastor that God is already preparing for us here at Harbor City. We're, we don't know when that'll be. We don't know who that is, but that's our job to listen to the Lord through this process and find that out. But we're already up and running and meeting weekly now. So be, be in prayer for our work as we as we keep that on track. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at a story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And one of the main characters is a, a fellow by the name of Mephibosheth. And so uh, Christina and I came up with this idea for all you children that are out there. We're going to issue you a challenge today uh, with this guy, Mephibosheth. And what we want you to do is at the end of the sermon today or sometime this afternoon, we want your mom or dad to, to take a video of you saying his name, Mephibosheth, five times really fast, okay? And if you can say his name five times really fast and also say one thing about Mephibosheth that you learned in the sermon today, just one thing, then uh, have your mom or dad email that to uh, Miss Christina at, at the church's email and there'll be valuable prizes in a gift bag that's coming up uh, for Easter, okay? So kids, Mephibosheth, five times in a row, as fast as you can. And one thing that you'll learn about Mephibosheth in the sermon today. So for the rest of us kids uh, here today, uh, we're going to be looking at a story in the Old Testament, which really is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Samuel 9, and it's a story about uh, God's grace and how God's grace, uh, by definition, just shows up in surprising places. Uh, my wife and I live up in, in uh, Carlsbad, and so when we come down every Sunday, we, we zoom down the five, and it's great uh, being on the five on a Sunday morning when there's no traffic. But one of the things for years and years and years that I've always, that's always caught my eye as I've come down Interstate 5 and entered into downtown. You get into Old Town, you get to the off-ramp there by the airport, and the freeway, the interstate actually, uh, the southbound Interstate 5 is lower than the northbound. You know where that, what I'm talking about there? It's like about 12, I think at the peak, it's about 12 feet lower going south than the northbound lanes are. And if you're going south and you look to your left, you see this big concrete wall that stretches for about a mile and a half as you're going through that part of the, the entrance to downtown. And here's the thing that always surprises me. Whenever I look and pass by that wall of concrete, that on the other side of it, there's four lanes of traffic before you get to any soil. Coming out of that wall will be green things that are growing, like trees and, and bushes will be growing out of this wall that is just in the middle of, of nowhere. And to me, that's always a reminder of how God's grace works, that it shows up in the most surprising of places. And this morning, we're going to be looking at it showing up in a place called Lodabar, a very strange place uh, that Mephibosheth lived. But before we get too far into that story, this morning what I want to do is just kind of let the story unravel and make some, make some comments about it as we go that relate to how God relates to us. And when we talk about grace 
and God extending his love toward us in Christ. The first thing that we realize is that grace speaks to us of the fact that we are loved, that you are loved. That's the first thing I want you to see this morning. In, in 2 Samuel 9, uh, we have this period in David's life where it's a, it's a unique period where in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, the one thing David wanted to do more than anything else was to build a temple. And God told him in chapter 7 that he was not going to be the one to build the temple. And that's a whole other story, but it, it had to do with the fact that uh, David had a certain role and he said, your son Solomon is going to be the one that builds the temple. David was deeply disappointed with that, but he went out in 2 Samuel 8 and did what God had called him to do, which was just expand the borders for the nation of Israel and for the nation of Israel to finally live at peace. And you get this picture at the end of chapter 8 of David and, and his family just being at, at peace and all of Israel really being at peace at that point. And chapter 9 begins this way. David says, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul, to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Is there anyone of the house of Saul for whom I can show kindness? Now, this word kindness is a word that we could, uh, we could easily translate grace. It, it's, a, it's a very significant word in the Old Testament. It's pronounced hesed in the Hebrew language, and it speaks of, of just God's covenant love towards uh, Israel and to all the nations. Hesed is something very, very special. And David says, I want to show Hesed to someone of the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake. Now, the story there was that Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the second king, but Jonathan was Saul's son. And in, in, normal, you know, in the normal scheme of things, Jonathan would have been the one to take over the kingship. Uh, and so you would expect Jonathan and David to have this kind of rivalry when Samuel comes along and anoints David and says, David, you're going to be the next king. That meant Jonathan wouldn't. You would expect them uh, to be rivals at that point, but they were dear, dear friends with one another. So much so that there was this episode that where Jonathan was telling David, David, you're going to be the king. But listen, however that happens, whenever you become king, would you please show kindness to my descendants. And the reason that that was such a significant request was because uh, back then and even still today and many, many times when, when kings usurp other kings and kingdoms shift, uh, back then it often meant that uh, you wouldn't show any kindness at all uh, to the former king's family. In fact, often you would put them to death because you considered them potential rivals to your kingdom. And so you would want to start it all over. And Jonathan said, listen, David, you're going to be the king. But when that happens, let's do it differently. Just show kindness to my family because of our, our friendship and our love for one another. And David made that promise to, to uh, Jonathan at that point. And so when the kingdom finally gets settled and the, he, he can come up for air, he said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And he goes on to say that there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. And they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, As you, at your service. And the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Now Ziba here was probably feeling a little nervous in this situation, that he was Saul's uh, servant, 
and David's calling him in. He doesn't quite know what's going on. And as David makes this request, I think it would have been natural for Ziba to, to think, well, maybe David is just trying to <clears throat> play me for a fool here and trying to get me to uh, show him anyone that's still left of Saul's family so that he can put them to death or he can exile them in, in some way. Uh, but Z uh, Ziba says to the king in, in verse, at the end of verse three, he says, there is still a son of Jonathan and he is lame in both feet. I think when he, when he tells David he's lame in both feet, again, there could be a couple of reasons for that. One, one could be him simply saying, David, this man's no threat to you. You don't have to worry about this guy. He, he's, he's lame in both feet. This is Ziba's perception. It's not, it's not God's uh, judgment upon Mephibosheth or anything like that. It's just Ziba's perception is that David might think of him as some kind of rival, and he wants to put that to rest. But I think there's another reason why Ziba might have said this to David. I think in some ways he might have been saying it to David just from the standpoint, if David's really telling the truth, that he wants to show kindness to someone, uh, Zib is saying, I'm not sure this is the guy you would pick for that. This guy is lame in both feet. He doesn't quite fit in uh, to the kinds of people that you might want to show kindness to. He's not going to fit in to your family, certainly. And so Ziba throws this out there and he doesn't know quite what David is going to say in response. But David just says back to him, where is he? Where is he? And Ziba answered, he is at the house of Maker, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Emil. As we look at this story and, and think of how it applies to our own lives, we might be tempted to think that this is just a morality play about how we should be kind to people who might have disabilities. You know, that's one way we could, we could look at this if we were being really simplistic about it. But what I want you to see this morning, friends, is that this isn't a story where we put ourselves in David's shoes. We need to see ourselves in Mephibosheth's shoes. Like, see, I couldn't do it, kids. See how hard it is? I'll try it five times. We are all Mephibosheth. We are those that when we think of ourselves, we would think we're, we're unlikely recipients of God's grace. We're, we're the unlovely. In, and God's grace goes out to people who are unlikely and who are unlovely. In Romans, it says even that God's grace is extended to those who were yet his enemies. God still loved us and sent his son to die for us. God isn't concerned when he starts to show grace with whether someone is worthy of that grace. We sang a song this morning about worthiness and what was the whole theme of the song? There's only one who is worthy. It's the person, Jesus Christ. None of us are worthy of receiving any grace or kindness from God. We are Mephibosheth. And, and that's what uh, David wants to show us. He wants to give us that glimpse of God's love when he says, where is he? He's in uh, Lodabar, and King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Emil. Now, Lodabar, it's an interesting name for a city. There's no city by that name that, that, has, uh, that still exists 
today, but in biblical times, Lo Debar uh, was located somewhere apparently just south of the Sea of Galilee and a little bit further toward the east. It would have been about a 70-mile, maybe 80-mile trip from Jerusalem, where David was, out to Lodabar. Lodabar, the word itself, uh, whenever in the Old Testament the, the word lo appears, it means not or no. Uh, and then whatever follows, it's saying there's none of that wherever this is. And Debar is simply the word for pasture land. So this place is called no pasture land. That's where Mephibosheth ended up. Uh, we, we're told why that happened in 2 Samuel chapter 4. I think I may have skipped over a, a, a slide there. Sorry about that, AJ. In 2 Samuel 4, we're given the story of what happened. It says that Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. What that's talking about is that Jonathan, David's friend, and his father Saul, the king of Israel, were killed in the same battle in Jezreel. When that word came back to Jerusalem that Saul and Jonathan were dead, Saul and Jonathan's whole family wanted to get out of town because they thought this is the time when we'll be put to death because we were part of that family. And so when the news came, his nurse picked him up and fled but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled, and his name was Mephibosheth. And so the, uh, the nurse picked him up, someone picked him up, kept carrying him out to this place called Lodabar, this place called No Pasture Land, where Mephibosheth probably fell. I'll be, I'll be okay out here. David will realize I'm no threat. I can live my life in peace from this point forward, even though I'm lame in both of my feet because of that incident uh, that happened. Well, uh, grace is, is extended here by David to Mephibosheth. He's not concerned again with who is worthy, who might be the beautiful person that I can extend grace to. He says, can I extend it to anyone? Is there anyone out there? And, and so he has Mephibosheth sent for. And what we have here now, when they go to Lodabar, is kind of an outbreaking of a bush out of the concrete along Interstate 5, because they go out to Lodabar, and I'm sure he sent like a, a group of soldiers out to get Mephibosheth. And what would Mephibosheth have thought at that point? He probably would have thought, well, this place wasn't as safe as I thought it was. And, they, and the soldiers say, we're taking you back to David in Jerusalem. And for that 70-mile journey back, however long, how many days that took, you can imagine what would have been going through Mephibosheth's mind. Uh, am I living my last days here on earth uh, am I going to get the sword? Uh, what's going to happen when I get back to Jerusalem? He had no idea. Well, in verse 6, it says uh, that <clears throat> it tells us that when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, at your service. And what David proceeds to do is to bless Mephibosheth. That whole thing about whether he was trying to set him up or bless him was answered right away. As, as Mephibosheth came in and bowed down, he probably was fearful that at that point he would feel the sword on the back of his neck. Uh, potentially, that's what could have happened to him. But David says to him, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid in verse 7. Don't be afraid, for I will surely show you the kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. 
I will restore to you all the land that, brought, that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? You know, it would have been enough, I think, for Mephibosheth just to be told, you're going to be okay. Don't worry about your life. You can live your life in peace. For the sake of my relationship with your father, Jonathan, I'm going to let you live. That would have been enough. But David goes on to tell him all these other things that he's going to do for Mephibosheth that go far beyond just sparing his life. Uh, Mephibosheth is, is just amazed at this. He says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And then the king summoned Ziba, verse nine, and Saul's steward, and he said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. That was unheard of. Why would the new king give back land that belonged to the old king? That was unheard of. Uh, he, he said, I'm going to give you everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him. He's telling Ziba this and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then <clears throat> Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's son. And Mephibosheth had a son named Micah. And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. Uh, you see, he's giving him back his land. He's giving him all these privileges. He's giving them all these blessings in a way that Mephibosheth will never be able to repay. There's a lavishness of of God's of David's love for, for Mephibosheth here because of Jonathan that mirrors what God does for us. He gives us not only salvation, but he gives us blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And is the, is the point of the story here simply that, okay, we, we are to receive these blessings with thanksgiving and uh, we, we, we should thank God and then sort of pass it on. We may be overwhelmed by all of those blessings, but uh, friends, when we think about David and Mephibosheth, and if we just focus in on getting back the land and, and, and the servants that will work the land and the way that David is setting up Mephibosheth, we may miss the most important thing about this passage. Because what grace tells us is not only that we're loved and we're blessed, but it also tells us that we're included. That we're included. Because the greatest blessing here is the blessing of being part of David's family. Mephibosheth was going to be included. And there's a, there's a, a slide that just reminds you that there's four different times in verse 7, and then I think again in verse 10, 11, and 12, where David says to Ziba or to Mephibosheth that you will eat at my table. You will eat at my table. Mephibosheth will always eat at the table of David. Mephibosheth ate at David's table. You see, because grace tells us that God not only extends the blessing of salvation to us, uh, he not only declares us not guilty of all the things that we've done that have brought God's judgment on us, but he says, I want you to be adopted into my family. And so God creates this relationship with us that we become the children 
of God. And that's the blessing upon blessing upon blessing to know that we are included. Um, there's some people I think that get kind of hung up on the fact that um, the, the salvation that we have, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ is viewed several different ways in God's word. But what, one of the main ways that it's viewed is in kind of a legal sense. We call it a forensic sort of sense where we are guilty um, and, and it's like a courtroom where, you know, our charges are brought against us. There's even a passage in 1 John where it talks about Jesus Christ being our advocate. He's, he's like our defense attorney in that situation. And he tells the Father, all of these sins are true, but they've been paid for by what I've done on the cross. And, and what God issues forth from, from the seat of the judge is there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. It's a very uh, kind of judicial, legal sense of, of what it means to be in relationship with God, that, that guilt is taken care of. There's nothing that, that is between us and God. We can walk free. But there's another image in the New Testament that we have that's not just the legal image. It doesn't take the place of it. It's, it's just an additional image. Uh, and what it is, it moves from, you might say it moves from superior court to family court if you want to look at it that way. In superior court, we're declared not guilty. We're declared no condemnation. But then he says, let's walk over here to family court where I want to adopt you as my child. And I want to include you in every blessing that comes in being a children, one of the children of God. And that's essentially what David is saying to Mephibosheth. I want you to experience all the blessings of being in my family. I want you to eat at my table always. You're going to eat at my table. You're going to eat at my table because you're going to be a part of my family. Well, what a day that would have been for Mephibosheth to go. Uh, Lodabar today would probably be called hole in the wall. That's what we call that city in our, in our day to day, to go from hole in the wall in the morning uh, to taking a journey and ending up sitting at the king's table in the palace. And for every meal that Mephibosheth had, it would be a reminder to him a picture of grace, uh, you know, the dinner bell would ring and, and think of all the, what, what would happen at that point for, in the palace. The, the guards might show up to just usher everyone in, but the kids would start coming to the table. And, and David just had kind of a stellar group of kids, didn't he? I mean, Absalom was one of his sons that would have come to the table. And if you know the story of Absalom, he was the one with the long hair that that uh, wanted to become king. And every time I think of Absalom, it says he was, a, he was a very handsome man. I think of Fabio, you know, if, if you can picture that in your mind, Fabio shows up at, at the king's table and then Tamar comes and she's kind of like a homecoming queen gal, I think. And, and then Amnon would be like the, the big athlete. And then you've got the valedictorian, you've got Solomon in the library, he's studying things and he comes to the table. It's just this all-star group of kids that are, are there at the family's table in the palace. And at some point you would hear either the kind of the dragging of the feet maybe, or the thump of the crutches as Mephibosheth would make his way into that scene. And he would slide into the table and the tablecloth would cover his feet. And David would say to him, welcome to the table every day, every day, you belong, you're included. This is where you will be. And friends, that's what God says to us when he calls us as his children. He says, I want you to understand that you're as precious to me 
as my true son, Jesus Christ. And you're welcome to join the table. And, and the, the amazing thing is not that someday we'll be able to feast and, and be around David and, and Solomon and, and Peter and James and John and all these different people that we find in, in God's word. The most amazing thing is that we'll sit there with Jesus. And God says, I love you as much as I love my true son, Jesus Christ. Your record is clean. I eat the meal. Eat the meal. How can we even begin to embrace that, uh, friends, that we're, we're received and welcomed in that way? I, I think it comes down to really how this story ends in 2 Samuel 9, because we didn't quite read it all. Uh, we got to the end where in verse 13, it says that Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. But then the writer adds the words, he was lame in both feet. It's the very last words in the chapter here. He was lame in both feet. It's just another reminder. It's another reminder that uh, we don't achieve that status of being one of God's children by anything we do. Um, it's not a matter of being worthy or likely, but God's grace goes out uh, to the unlikely. And it's something that we can, we can uh, experience through his love for us. I wanted to leave you there today knowing that God's, extending that invitation to each one of us, not just to be forgiven, but to be included in his family and to sense the joy that Mephibosheth must have felt every day that he entered in to the king's palace to go to the table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us that image of, of communion over a table uh, that, that Mephibosheth enjoyed, that you've called us one day to enjoy as well as your children. And we pray, Lord, that you would give to us that hope that would um, cause us to be as amazed as Mephibosheth must have been, amazed that God's kindness would go to someone as unlikely as me, as unlikely as any one of us here. But it's real and it's true because of what you've done for us, Jesus. We thank you in his name. Amen.